We continue this series on the Holy Spirit, His power and His purpose in our lives. I'm excited for today's message. I hope you are too. Um, We're just going to go ahead and and begin this morning, beginning in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, earlier, Paul has instructed us in chapter 12 in the gifts of the Spirit, and and he listed the, the spiritual gifts, what's provided to the church, and how the Spirit takes those gifts and he uses them to unify the body of believers, how he builds up the church. And today, as we open chapter 14, we see what exactly we are to do in the Spirit as far as it is concerning tongues and prophecy. We've, we've seen the Spirit's power and purpose to build, unify, and draw the church to Christ, but how we utilize the gifts of the Spirit greatly matter. In fact, if you're taking notes today, you may want to write this down. We must not waste the power and purpose the Spirit has given us. I'll say it again. We must not waste the power and purpose the Spirit has given us. This is one of those chapters that we definitely want to get right. That we understand exactly what Paul is doing because it's so so easy to deviate from the path that he is paving for us. Now, I always want to make sure that I'm very thorough in my preaching, but even more so on this topic, tongues, prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit. 
we're Pentecostal. This is sort of our thing, right? It's not to say we have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but this is what we tend to emphasize the most, and for good reason. Because the Spirit empowers us for ministry. The Spirit empowers us for sharing our faith, for growing and building up the church. So I want to make sure more, more than ever that I'm able to make this understandable and comprehensible and, and something that each person who is here in person or watching online or listening to later, they can take it and they say, that's what I believe and that's why I believe it. Because if we can't explain what we believe or why we believe it, why should anyone care that we believe it? If we can't explain what we experience on Sunday, how can we truly explain or or make people understand or care that we had that experience? Amen? What we believe about the Holy Spirit matters because we want to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the purpose of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, we must practice consistency as we proceed with caution and pray for clarity. And those are the three points this morning. We practice consistency, we proceed with caution, and we pray for clarity. In the Spirit, we practice consistency, which is kind of the the summary of the first portion of what Paul's saying here. He tells us in in verse 1 to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I said this last week, but I want to say it again as we understand this. The gifts must be desired with love. That's our motivation. That's the core as to why we want the spiritual gifts. That's why we want the charismata, the charismatic, right? If you remember in chapter 12, Paul ends that chapter by stating, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I I broke it down in the Greek so we understood what he's really saying. If if we were to take it into a more modern context, What he's truly saying is, but y'all, that's literally kind of the the sense, but y'all desire the gifts, the higher gifts for the wrong reason. But, he says, but I will show you still a more excellent way. And that excellent way is love. He then goes on into chapter 13, which we've skipped for the purposes of this series. A couple years ago, I think it was, I did a series on the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where he explains what love is and what love is not. It's, it's read at weddings. It's quoted in movies and television shows. And most of us, it's pretty much we kind of have an understanding of what he's getting at there. But again, it also tells us what love does and what love does not do. We, we often will hear this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so for the purpose of the series, we skipped that chapter because most of us kind of already know that. We've heard that for many years. And if you haven't, there's the audio is still available on, on YouTube if you want to go back and, and watch that. Love is the thing we're told to pursue. And that's the key to unlocking the much of the, the gift's power and purpose. In fact, the word Paul uses for pursue is the Greek word diakete. And it means to chase with intensity. It's almost a, a, to mean to violently run after something. 
to go all in as you chase it and run it down. It's kind of like when you watch a James Bond film and the villain or one of the henchmen is starting to get away at the beginning of the film and you see him diving under semi-trucks and jumping over motorcycles and through glass and he's doing all these things to chase down the villain's guy so he can get some information. That's the way Paul says to pursue love. Not so much recklessly, but relentlessly to constantly make that a purpose and a mindset that we are to pursue love, to chase it down. Without love, Paul says, what do the gifts even matter? Back in chapter 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the core. It is the foundation for the gifts, for who we are, from where we start from. John says we love because he first loved us. Then, then Paul says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, not the higher gifts. He says spiritual gifts. In fact, this is... Paul is actually using the same word the Corinthians had used when they wrote him way back in 12 verse 1. The Corinthian Christians used the word pneumatica or pneumatica, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts pertaining to the Spirit. He does not use them as charismata here, the gracious gifts, because Paul is emphasizing they are given by the Spirit even though he is telling them to pursue them. The desire for them in this context, it's in reference to their use collectively and faithfully in the service of the Spirit. It's not just a personal yearning to have something that you didn't possess or have beforehand. Again, Paul condemns using the gifts in a way that elevates someone higher than someone else. The church should want the gifts and exercise the gifts in a way that will benefit the church. Not in a way that propels an individual into the spotlight or into stardom or anything of that nature. Paul says then, but especially that you prophesy. Well, what is prophecy? It's just having dreams and knowing the future, right? No, no, it is not. Well, it's something incredible like knowing what the king says in his bedroom even, like, like Elisha does back in 2 Kings chapter 6, right? No. No, it is not. The word Paul uses here is prophetanete. And it's a word that means to speak an inspired message. And typically it's meant as a message that is to encourage obedience to God. Not to elevate someone else, but to propel others towards Christ. Now it may be a warning, it may be a message to prepare the church for a future event, that's true, but it ultimately is meant to keep the church in continual obedience to Christ. So if Paul has his way, his preference is not that we all be speaking loudly in tongues, but that we prophesy. So why? Why is that a key? Why does that matter? Well, he says in verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. This is where tongues start to become a point of contention for people or a point of confusion 
for some. So we're going to try and understand that this morning. The Spirit gives the gifts. We all agree on that. We should all understand that after looking at chapter 12, especially verses 7 through 11. That's where the listing of the gifts are. But now Paul says when a person speaks in a tongue, he's not speaking to men, he is speaking to God. Nobody's going to understand him. He's uttering mysteries in the Spirit. Now we do know that the Holy Spirit plays a key role in intercessory prayer. We see this in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. It reads, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. But the speaker does not necessarily know what's being said, and neither does anyone around him. Only God understands this language, this prayer language as we call it. And we're going to see later in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So this sort of prayer, it's not something that's for everybody around you. It's not for everyone else. It's for the speaker whose spirit is communicating with God's spirit. We call this our prayer language, right? When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we begin to speak in tongues, and that is the evidence of the baptism, the physical evidence. And from that point on, we, we can do that. We pray in tongues. That's what Paul's referring to here. But it's not for everyone else. We see this commanded to be done in Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What Paul is likely trying to get the Corinthian Christians to understand at this point is that not all tongues are necessarily for a public declaration. Some are for their personal prayer, like what Jude is referring to. Paul did mention, if you recall, back in chapter 12, various kinds of tongues, meaning there is more than one purpose for the glossa, is the Greek word, the the glossolalia, the speaking in tongues, when he lists out the gifts of the Spirit. So that's that's what's possible here. That's what he's saying. But also, when Paul is mentioning praying in tongues, what he is preferring happen What he's preferring the Corinthian church do is prophesy or give an utterance in a tongue that is interpreted and treated as though it is a prophecy. So you have tongues as prophecy. Well, how does that work? Is that that even possible? Yes, tongues are a form of prophecy, and I'll explain why. In Acts chapter 2, Peter makes it very clear when the people are speaking in tongues, and he quotes uh, the prophet Joel, he says that, Uh, people were able to prophesy. But we don't, in the context of Acts chapter 2, we don't see necessarily, yeah, the text is really sorry, uh, really small. I'm sorry about that. That's why it's in your bulletin. Um, But we don't see anybody in Acts chapter 2 prophesying in the way we typically define prophecy. But this is what Peter says. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, And give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Paul is in agreement with this, and we're going to see that as we go on in verses 3 and 4. 
On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And we don't often think of tongues as a form of prophecy, but when it is interpreted, it can be, it is. At its core, what exactly is prophecy? It's a message that is given to direct obedience to God. So when a message in tongues is given and the interpretation comes around, that is a prophetic move of the Holy Spirit to encourage, to uplift, to rebuke in some cases, get the church on track in obedience to God, to the Holy Spirit. And tongues are tied very closely to prophecy. We know this at some point in the future, Paul says in Acts 13, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 13.8, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So while we have these gifts, we must practice consistency in how we use them, and we use them in love, and we use them in the right arena. It's important that we understand this. If you have a prayer language, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you just start blurting out a message in tongues, and there's no interpretation, you are operating in that gifting wrongly. However, if you have the gift of tongues, and I want to stipulate, it could be the person who has the gift of interpretation is operating wrongly as well, but at some point, someone should give an interpretation. We'll, we'll get to that. Paul says, pray that he may interpret. But if you have the gift of tongues and you're given an utterance in the whole church, an interpretation has to occur because that's prophetic in nature and it should be weighed and it has to be understood we understand this paul's made that very clear we have to uh, discern what's being said but the spirit empowers us for the building up of the church with these gifts and if they're done decently in an order which paul instructs later in this chapter then they are not then they are used consistently we have to use them rightly and they're likely if they're not done that way they're not done in love because When we love others, we want the gifts to be effective and building up the church, building up others. That's their core purpose, right? So if we if we don't use them, we're not in the right way, we're not using them the way they're intended, and we waste them. And Paul goes on, he begins to tie this together in verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, Paul just spent, and we spent two weeks going through chapter 12, and he kept saying, nobody's greater than anybody else, right? So what's he saying here? What's he getting at? You remember he said, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. In other words, we're all equal. We're all to be building up one another. But yet Paul says this little phrase. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. So is he contradicting himself? No, he's not. Paul is saying that the prophecy is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue without an interpretation. He said, unless someone interprets. Because the person who does not have an interpretation is just speaking nonsense. They're just wasting air. It does nothing for the church body. Now, it may make them feel great. It may make them feel very good or have a sense of peace or something like that. But it's not doing anything but building themselves up. 
patting their own ego. Again, to be clear, this would be a message in tongues, not, and I want to be very clear, not a personal prayer for themselves that is meant to edify and build up yourself. But that's why Paul says the one who prophesies is greater because they're, they're actually doing something for building up the church. In other words, tongues has to be interpreted for it to be prophetic. For it to be prophetic, it must keep the church on track. So we see in the Spirit, we have to practice this consistency with this, that we understand this, or we are wasting the power and the purpose of the gift He has given. Now, in the Spirit, we proceed with caution. That's the second point this morning. Verse 6 says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Now, this is a rhetorical question, right? Obviously, the answer is you're not going to be much benefit at all, Paul. Because without an interpretation, nobody's going to understand you. In the Greek, what Paul actually begins, and this is where everybody gets hung up because it's 2022. Well, what Paul's actually saying there is not just brothers. He's actually using a Greek word that's gender neutral. He's saying brothers and sisters. Yes, okay, congratulations, good job. Yes, that's, that's what's going on. But they miss this little word. In Greek, it's the word ain. It's a conjunction. We usually interpret it if. If is a big word for Paul. He uses it often. And it's meant here, he's using it here in 1 Corinthians 14 as a way to guide this hypothetical question. In other words, he's telling them, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, but you're going to agree with my point. Because this is a fact. In other words, if we're reading it today, it would sound something like, now I'm sure you'll all agree, if I came to you speaking in tongues, how would you benefit if I didn't also bring a revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching? And again, the answer is, well, there would be no benefit. He's not saying tongues are an illegitimate gift. He's already established they are legitimate back in chapter 12, verse 10. So this gift, so is a gift of of knowledge and prophecy and wisdom. And the word revelation here probably relates to a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge of some sort. Of course, we know teaching is a gift as well for edifying the body. It's listed in Romans 12. Romans 12 has its own set of gifts. We read in, in Romans 12, 6 through 8, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So he throws in these other gifts that we understand that the Holy Spirit gives a variety of these things. Teaching, serving, contributing, leading. These are all ways to build up the body, to build up one another. These are also enabled by the Holy Spirit, but must be carried out in love for one another. Paul continues in in verses 7 and 8. He says, If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, How will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? This is, again, it's another rhetorical question indicating the answer should be pretty obvious, and we're all on the same page here. If these instruments don't give out the right notes, it's not going to make beautiful, harmonious, orchestra, symphony music, right? It's going to be chaos. Have you guys ever went to a symphony and you heard the, the, uh, the musicians tuning their instruments before, how noisy that sounds, how wrong it sounds. 
You're sitting there and, and someone just pulls out their French horn and it's... And someone else plays their flute. And it's just, it's just a bunch of random, chaotic noise. That's what Paul says it's like whenever we don't have interpretation. We don't have order. We don't have the things he's talking about. It's just noise. It's just chaos. In the case of the bugle, that's important because the, the, he says, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now, the Jewish Christian, this is going to hold a lot of weight to them. They're going to really understand. They're going to relate this, especially in light of Pentecost, because Joel chapter 2 is all about Pentecost, where Peter ties these things together. And Joel 2.1 begins with this. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on, the, on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Now, if there is chaos, and there's all these voices and noises going around, right? I don't know if that really sounds like a French horn. I'm not a musical guy. You can ask Patty. I'm not that. That's her domain. But if all these sounds are bouncing around and off of each other, how do you know which one to discern? How do you know which one matters? There's all this chaos and things get lost. But the bugle also holds a meaning for more than just a war cry. It's also an alarm, right? Sound the alarm, what Joel said. Take a second look at Ezekiel 3. Son of man, I have... Made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked of his wicked way in order to save his life. That person, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. If we have these different things bouncing around and it's chaos and it's, it's not making sense, when the watchman blows the horn, who will hear him? Who will take notice? You see why the enemy loves to manipulate and misuse and lead people into the misuse and wasting of the spiritual gifts. Because then no one hears the warning. No one knows the wolf is at the, at the door. Because the bugle gets drowned out by the noise. Now Paul draws a similar conclusion. He actually says in verse 9, So with yourselves, If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Paul is saying you might be speaking to God. You might be speaking to the air. Who would know? How would anyone really know? Or or why should it matter? Now, he's not scolding the praying in tongues. Okay, and I want to make that clear. We're not scolding praying in your personal prayer language and things of that nature. We're not saying that. But we're making it clear they are for a private purpose if they are done without interpretation. The interpretation must be there because like we saw last week, the the Spirit's role is to grow us, lead us as he leads the church closer to Christ and in Christ. If you're praying in tongues and nobody else knows what you're saying, again, you may receive comfort, you may receive edification or what have you, and that's fine but nobody else is going to get anything from it. You may feel good, but what has it done to grow the body? Again, it's, it's, not your, it's not that your personal growth or closeness to God is a bad thing. Not at all. Absolutely not. But when the church comes together, it does not benefit anyone else if it's being delivered before the whole congregation and there's no interpreting it. If there's no interpreting it, it's just noise. You see how it all fits together. Now, I have heard, and I just want to take a second. I'm stepping away from my notes. God help me. 
I have heard a pastor who I very much respect in a closing prayer begin to pray in tongues. Was that wrong? Should there be an interpretation? No, for him, he was just praying in his language, and he sometimes that happens, right? It's it's important that we understand the gifts and know when to discern which one is happening and which one if, if for instance, if I were closing in prayer and and doing the altar call or whatever, and I begin to pray in tongues, that's not for you, okay? If that's me praying in my personal language and and doing that, that's not for that's that's not the same thing. We have that's why discernment matters, and why all the more we understand this. My pastor friend got had people come to him and say, "You had the microphone in your hand. There should have been an interpretation." No, I was praying, and it became a teachable moment. And so, rather than have that happen to myself someday, we're just going to fast forward right through that so everyone understands. We have to understand when someone is praying in their own personal prayer language. Like, for instance, we had, if we have Jim Bob down here at the altar and he's praying in tongues and we all hear him, no, that's his personal prayer time. Okay, now if he begins to blurt it out louder for the whole congregation to hear, there better be an interpretation. That's, that's what we're getting at. Paul continues, he says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Now, the word for language used here is the Greek word phonon. And it can also be translated as sounds. It's where we get the word phonetics, or hooked on phonics, or telephone, right? That's that's all in there. This may have, for Paul, this might have brought back to mind the sounds of the city of Corinth. Uh, sounds like people working, vendors haggling, people yelling, speaking Greek, Latin, Aramaic, the different voices that were common, uh, different languages that are common in that area. You might have remembered or recalled philosophers debating or, or town drunks singing or children playing and crying, and even musical instruments in the background. But the purpose and force of those sounds has to be understood by those who hear them or their meaning is lost. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. Without love, it is noise. But without interpretation, it is meaningless for the entire congregation. You'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker to a foreigner. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign country where you didn't know the language. I did an internship when I was in Bible college in Sri Lanka, and they they pulled a fast one on me. They took me to the far reaches of the island where nobody knew English. Now, for the record, most people around the world know English, so usually I was pretty good, but I was way out of my comfort zone, and I relied very heavily on my translators. But one morning, they were nowhere to be found. They'd gone into town, and that's the morning they wanted to teach me how to take a Sri Lankan bath. Things got awkward. We'll just leave it there, okay? It involved a very big bowl, a lot of cold water, and me going, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? And everyone else laughing but me. In Paul's time, a foreigner, if he were in town, they would maybe sometimes in Scripture they were referred to as barbarians. And their native language would likely not be known by very many people. So he's going to be, the, the foreigner is going to be terrified. It is a terrifying experience. Because I can't communicate with people around me. If there's an emergency, if I, if I start to have a really bad pain in my side, or something, how do I communicate that, right? Physical language only goes so far. So this barbarian, this foreigner comes in, and 
He doesn't know their language. They don't know him. People are going to be terrified. They're going to be frightened of him. He's going to be frightened of other people. Now, take that and plug that into the local church. Shift that imagery to within our own sanctuary. Imagine how that would play out. Imagine the chaos that would follow. This is why Paul says, you know, in a sense, proceed with caution. So with yourselves, he says in verse 12, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the key. And it all comes from love. The Spirit's purpose is to build up and empower the church with the gifts. Those who operate with the gifts are used by the Spirit for growing the church, for keeping us on the right path, taking us closer to Christ, and gathering more of the lost to Christ. If we do not proceed with caution when we operate in the Spirit, we may very well be wasting the power and the purpose of the gifts we're given. And finally, point number three. In the Spirit, we pray for clarity. Verse 13, he says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. The word for interpret here in the Greek, it's, it's a very hard word to say, so I'm just going to skip that. But it means basically to explain it. Again, it's not a word-for-word translation. It's an interpretation or an explanation. If interpretation is a gift of the Holy Spirit, why would a person pray for that, right? The Holy Spirit should just give that to the person. Well, some think that when Paul is saying this, that when he uses the term a tongue, that he's actually speaking you know, a singular word, he's, he's being sarcastic and he's referring to the pagan practice that is similar to the utterance of tongues that we see in the book of Acts. Now, we don't believe that's what Paul's really trying to do here, but it is a reminder, and it should stand as a reminder to those within the church that there are pagan practices that can mirror and mock what the Holy Spirit does. There were and there still are pagans or unbelievers who belong to other religions who pray in a tongue, but it's gibberish nonsense. There's no sense or structure to what they're saying. There's definitely no way to interpret because there's nothing to interpret, either from the Holy Spirit or just an actual translator. There's, it's just nonsense. We see a similar manifestation of spirits, plural, in the kundalini cults of India. They have, the, they have infiltrated in some, in some Christian circles. They have infiltrated the Christian church. And these spirits, we sweep it under the rug and we call it the Holy Spirit. We should not do that. Church, this is why discernment matters, because these things do creep in, and the enemy is at the, is at the door. We have to be vigilant. So quick to counterfeit what God does and what God has done and will do, and then expand upon it for his own wicked purposes. All the more, we have to remember and strive to practice 1 John 4.1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Why must we, a person, pray to interpret then? Because Paul wants the speaker to pray this, not because he's speaking in tongues unauthentically, but to prove that it is authentic from the Holy Spirit, not just any spirit. Gibberish speaking or vainly repeating words or phrases in tongues, that is not tongues from the Holy Spirit. I've heard of some, I've never seen this myself. I've heard of it from various friends, but I've heard of some churches teaching people how to speak in tongues by just encouraging gibberish. That is not biblical. You don't teach a gift. You can only teach someone how to use it decently and in order once it's been given. In fact, Jesus actually condemns this sort of practice 
himself in, in Matthew 6, 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. That's not what we're to do. Even when we are praying in the Spirit, we are not to be doing that. Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. We are not to just be heaping up an empty phrase if our spirit is praying with the spirit. We don't just zone out either in the spirit and pray in some kind of trance. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the way he works. We pray with our spirit, but also with our mind. For Paul, the idea of praying and having some focus in our mind is nothing new. Because he has told the, the, the Corinthian Christians way back in chapter 2, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ and we're praying in the Holy Spirit and we're praying with our human spirit as well, one would think our prayers would be truly powerful. Finally tuned to the will of God, we would, we would begin to see powerful answers to prayer as we are praying in close proximity to God himself. Especially in light of Paul saying in, in verse 11 of chapter 2, for, the, for who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. When we are praying in the spirit, we are truly pouring out, pouring the core of who we are into such a prayer. Our mind, though, should not be empty. Instead, I think it's safe and, and a best bet to say that it's more like a filter. It should act like a filter, keeping guard over our hearts as we pray. In fact, Paul says if he's praying in the Spirit with a mind that is unfruitful, then we must be challenged to not let our mind be unfruitful, to be absent. Instead, pray with your mind also. We sing with our spirit, but we sing with our mind as well. And some of you, maybe you've done this. You pray in tongues, and pretty soon you're singing in tongues. And it's, it's worship, but it's private worship. Still worship. Of course, we sing with our minds. This, we see this throughout Scripture, this command to, to be praying with our humans. I'm sorry. Get my, we sing with our mind. We see this throughout Scripture, this, this type of worship. Of course, singing, praising, worshiping with music. We do that. Even further down the page, Paul talks about when they come together, someone has a hymn in verse 26. He instructs the church to, to sing and to lead in, and enjoy worship and music. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. But if we're to sing in the Spirit, our mind also has to be active. We read on in verses 16 and 17. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person is not being built up. If someone comes into the church and they are ignorant as to what's going on, what's taking place, how can they join in? How can they know what's happening? Or for that matter, how can they not be weirded out? Right? Or scared? We covered that with the barbarian thing. As a side note, Paul actually says something kind of fascinating here. He, he drops this little hint as to something that's taking place within the church. He says, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? From very early on, 
it was a good thing to say amen in church. Some of you guys from Lutheran backgrounds, that's been beaten out of you, but it's okay to do that. It's okay to say amen when the pastor's preaching. There you go, right. It does, it's not meant to fire up the pastor, but it sure helps. It lets me know you're alive. It's either I hear amen or I hear somebody loading their shotgun. One of the two. That's what motivates a good preacher. That's a joke. I'm, I'm co- totally kidding. That's not in scripture, by the way. When we say amen, we're saying we're in agreement and we're excited for what's being said. But how can you do that if you don't understand what's being said? There we go. There we go. Amen. Paul concludes, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul isn't bragging here. He's not bragging. He's not saying, look how great the Apostle Paul is. He's the last guy to do that, right? When we understand how he actually views himself, he's not hoisting himself up. He's likely, he's talking about his private prayer. He prays in tongues more than they do. He may also be saying, it's, maybe he's not speaking quantitatively, but he's speaking qualitatively, that he understands praying in tongues better than they do. Either way, he's, he's speaking hyperbolically when he makes this point. He's saying, I'd rather speak five words that make sense to the people around me than 10,000 words that make no sense to anybody, right? So he's reiterating this point that we have to have clarity when we operate in the gifts. Otherwise, we are wasting the power and the purpose for which they are given. I'm going to move to close in just a second. But the question becomes, how does this impact my life? How does this draw me closer to Christ? When I preach, I try to answer three questions. What, why, and how? What does the scripture mean? Why should I care? And how do I apply this to my life? Well, we've hopefully covered extensively what the Scriptures mean, and you understand why you should care, but now the question becomes, how do we apply it? Well, first of all, we pursue love. That's what he told us. And then we earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, and we operate in them so as not to waste them of their purpose or their power. If we operate in them wrong, we might have a period where we feel good about ourselves, where we feel good in the moment, But if we're not edifying others with the gifts we've been given, we're not using them as they were intended. When we're given a gift, and I mean any gift, whether it's a spiritual gift or a new circular saw, a new t-shirt, a new necktie, if we don't use it for the purpose it was given, if we don't use it the way it was meant to be used, are we not wasting the gift? When Jesus told the disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. He makes it clear the gifts and the power that come from him are for drawing people to him. That's that's part of our mission, to take people to Jesus. Otherwise, they'll have no hope. They They won't understand his death and his resurrection and what that truly means. As a church, our ultimate goal is to take others to Jesus in order that they receive him, that they submit their lives to him. And they be changed by his Holy Spirit. If our gifts are just gibberish, if they're just nonsense, they're just stuff that turns people away, then we cannot be called a church. We'd be a closet for storing gifts that collect dust. They could be looked at, they could be observed, but they're never used properly. We're not called to be a closet. We are called to be a church 
be a launch pad for the gospel to be preached. If you're here and, and you're saying, you know what, I still I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I don't know. I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're talking about with that. Get alone with God today. Spend some time in prayer. We'll, we'll open up the, the altars. We'll have a time with Georgette playing softly in the background. And, and just I would just encourage you, get alone with God. First and foremost, pursue love and desire the gifts in prayer this morning. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, I just come before you and I thank you for your word. I pray that as we operate as a church, that we operate in the gifts you've given us, that we not take them for granted, but Lord, that we use them appropriately, that we use them rightly, and not for our glory, not to say, oh, look at, look at how great faith assembly of God is, or look how great so-and-so is, but that we say, look how great our God is. That we say, look how good Jesus is. That we, we say, look where the Holy Spirit is taking us. As he takes us to the cross of Christ. Lord, that we understand fully and wholly what you want for this church, what you want for every church, Lord. That we be spirit-led in obedience, Lord God. That you keep us on track. Lord, I pray for those who who are the watchmen on the wall, but their, their bugle doesn't work very well. Lord God, I pray, remind them of their purpose. Remind them of their calling. Remind them of their gifting, Lord. For those who are saying, I've never received the Holy Spirit's baptism, but I want to, Lord, I pray they seek it. And I pray they receive it. But Lord, only in your timing. God, we ask this in your name, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.